right, well, we're going to continue in our series, Who is This King? Last week, we gave a little bit of an introduction to that. Our theme verses are Revelation 19.16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm going to test to see if you guys are a little bit more awake than first service, because in first service, I said, I can't imagine what that tattoo would have felt like on his thigh. And, and I got the same response as you guys got. It's okay to take a deep breath. And uh, I mean, it was written on his thigh. Any, who's got tattoos? Anybody have a tight tattoo on their thigh? No, I was just curious. Oh, yeah, there's somebody back there. Did it hurt? Yeah. Yeah, it hurt. So I'm just giving you some scriptural observations here that, that hurt. First uh, Timothy 6.15, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. As I said, last week we gave an introduction to the series. We identified uh, what Jesus is not, that Jesus is not a part-time king, uh, that Jesus is not an earthly king, and certainly Jesus is not a traditional king in the traditional king sense. Uh, that everything about his kingship and his lordship is different than any earthly king. And my hope for us in this series leading up into the Easter, uh, into Easter Sunday is that we would see and, and understand better the glory of Jesus as king in our life in a way that maybe we've never seen before. And that ultimately it would lead us into uh, a sense of worship and praise of our king like never before. In the age of earthly kings, uh, they were understood to bring, a, they had some certain expectations of earthly kings. The, the expectation was that they were to bring, and it was understood that they were to bring uh, peace, they were to bring security, and they were to bring prosperity into their land into their kingdom. People pledged their allegiance to the king. They submitted to the king's authority. And, and the, in, the re, in return, what the king would do is he, he, he would provide this for them, and they would then, as they submit to his authority, they would be able to go about their lives in relative peace, which allowed them then to prosper while enjoying a full and satisfying life. But earthly kings provide security, peace, and prosperity much different than Jesus. In fact, kings are able to provide the security, the peace, and the prosperity as long as the subjects of their kingdom are loyal to them. But what happens is, is if the subjects begin to rebel, now all of a sudden, they've got a problem on their hands. The king of England discovered this when the colonies decided that they were going to throw off his rule. A short time later, the king of France discovered how fragile and how privileged life is when his rebellious subjects took care of him. See, when... The subjects rebel against the king. It becomes a problem. And something's happened along history, throughout history, that 
in every one of us, there is this innate desire to be king. We all want to be king. And I'll give you an example of how I know this to be true. How many of you grew up, uh, uh, somebody said, yeah, I grew up. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, no, how, how many of you uh, grew up playing the, 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 the game King of the Hill? I'm not talking about watching the show King of the Hill. Then you really do need to grow up. But, but no, played the game King of the Hill. Let's just say a, a show of hands, like, right? This is before kids were fragile and, and couldn't get hurt and all of that. This is a game. This is, this is a game. And I grew up in Oregon, just about an hour and a half from the coast of Oregon, banded by the sea. And, and we used to have our camp, uh, our summer camp for our kids, over in Bandon. And there were these sand dunes that were connected to the camp. And I just want to kind of, if you don't know what a sand dune is, it looks like this. And, uh, and if you look over here up on the top, you'll see kind of this, this point there. And if you've never played King of the Hill, then let's, let's go. Um, I, I'm here, I'm king, no, I'm just kidding, let's not. But if you've never played King of the Hill, the whole premise of the game is that there would be one person at the top of that, and then like a bunch of rebellious subjects down at the bottom, and they would drive up the hill, I mean, they were running up the hill, and the whole goal was to knock the king off the hill. And you would shove people off and you would push people down and you'd see them go rolling down the hill. And then, and then there would be a new king on the hill. And we'd just start all over. I'm not saying we were the brightest kids in, in the past, but we were, you know, the tougher of the generations. And so we would do it again and again and again and again. And you know what's interesting is never once when I played King of the Hill... Never once did someone get on the top, push everybody down, and be standing up there, and all of the people down at the bottom look up at the king and think, that's a good king right there. That's a good one. Like, come on, everybody, we're going home. Like, he can have the hill. Like, no, the moment that we were down, we were like, that ain't going to happen. So we went back up the hill and pushed him down until there was another king, and there was never a good enough king. See, to become a loyal subject to a king, you have to submit to their authority. We don't want to do that. We don't like to do that. So the question I'm going to ask this morning for all of us is, is Jesus your king? Will you Submit to his authority. Because in the United States, we don't like this. I'm not saying that other countries like it, but we here, we, we, our nation was founded on not submitting to authority. We, we don't like submitting to authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. Endlessly conditioned to believe that no one is good enough to be king. And in fact, in the only, the highest, or not in the only, but in the highest level of authority that, that could possibly be considered a king type authority, eight years and you're out. You ain't good enough. 
That's it. That's all you get. Eight years and you're out. We are conditioned in America to not want to submit to authority. We are encouraged to question authority. We are urged to color outside the lines. If you don't believe me, if you don't think that this happens at a young age, how how many of you, uh, I'm not going to say have watched it, but know that your kids have watched the the movie Frozen? I know I'm dating myself a little bit. It's an older movie. and. no, everybody's like, I'm not raising my hand to that question. I don't want to out myself. But have you seen the, the movie Frozen? Yes, everybody? Okay. If you haven't seen it, you've been annoyed by it. And in it, there's uh, a character named Elsa who sings a song in, in the movie. And listen to what she sings. This is what your little princesses and daughters are singing while they sing Uh, to the movie, to test the limits and break through. Listen to this. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Get out your phones and cancel your Disney Plus subscription. (laughs) Like, like, seriously, I, no rules, no right, no wrong, no rule. We are conditioning our children to push back, to question authority, and we wonder why it is so difficult for us because we, we can hear Jesus as Savior. We can hear Jesus is healer, Jesus is baptizer, Jesus is soon and coming king, but Jesus is king today, right now in my life that I have to submit to his authority. I don't know. Will you and I submit to his authority? Authority is the right to command, to enforce, to punish, and to reward. But just like the king of the hill, the religious leaders during the time of Jesus, we're we're not interested in submitting to the authority of Jesus. They were not interested in allowing him to be king. And they kept coming at him, and they kept coming at him, hoping to shove him off of his pedestal, hoping to gain control over the hill. And I want to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And he proceeds to ask them a question. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? So now they're faced with a question that they have to answer to get the answer to the question that they had asked. So they gather together, they huddle up, right? They get all the religious leaders, brilliant people, smartest people in the room. And they start realizing that they're in a predicament. 
Because if they answer this question one way, it's going to be a problem. And if they answer the question another way, it's going to be a problem. They discussed it among themselves. They said, if we say it's from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? That's not good. But if we say of human origin, now we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answer to Jesus. They think they're going to get him. They're like, we don't know. Good luck. We don't know. Hoping that Jesus is then going to say something that's going to incriminate him. He said, we don't know. And Jesus' response to these religious leaders was, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He didn't say, well, he, he said neither. But I said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You know why he didn't feel necessary to give them an answer to their question? These people who historically would have had a lot of authority and a lot of control. He didn't feel a need to give them an answer because he is the authority. He is the final authority. There is no other authority higher than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who's going to be the authority over him? No one. Who's going to be the authority over our life? There's always someone on, our, on the throne of our heart. There's always someone that we're serving, someone that we're submitting to, or something that we're submitting to. And the question for us is, who is the authority over our life? Who is it? Jesus gives us then, he goes on and gives us a series of parables, but in the, in the case of, of the religious leaders, he decides that, that, he's go, that they're demanding answers from him. They keep coming at him, keep demanding answers, keep coming at him. And, and you know what he does? He just keeps asking questions. Right? They want answers. He just gives them more questions. And so he gives a series of parables. He, he teaches uh, later on in the, in the chapters following this, he he teaches on the, the wedding feast, right? The, the feast where you invite everybody in. And all of these parables and stories all come with the same punchline, the same statement. And it's Jesus is saying at the end of each of these, I love you. I love you. I'm welcoming you in. I'm inviting you into my kingdom. I want, I'm opening the doors. I'm taking applications. Like You don't even have to apply. You just walk through. And he says, I love you. I care about you. And then over the next couple of chapters, what we also see is that the religious leaders just continue to try to entrap Jesus, try to get Jesus to say something incriminating, and, and try to usurp his authority. They try to break him down. And so often people go through this life demanding answers from God. How many of you ever found yourself saying, God, why did you do this? Why did this happen? Why did this take place? And you, you demand answers from Almighty God. And I wonder if 
maybe the question in response is just simply, do you love me? Do you love me? See, a king, we see a king who is patient in Jesus. He's strong and firm, but he's patient. And just as a, a fun little, uh, see if I can cause any marriage problems this morning. How, how many of you have uh, ever come home from something, from work or something along those lines, and had a spouse who just, just keeps coming at you, demanding answers, has questions, wants to know how your day was, all, like, I mean, all these, all these things. And you're exhausted. And, and, and you know what inevitably happens is, is, is yet when you have somebody just pelting you with questions, pelting, pelting, pelting. My wife never does this, by the way. But your wife's my, I don't know. Uh, but just, just coming at you with questions. And, and eventually you just kind of blow up. You can only be patient for so long. And you, you blow, all right, all right, I got it, I got it. It's interesting is Jesus didn't do that. And that, this was a much serious, a much more serious situation. These guys are coming at him right and left, and they're demanding answers. And Jesus, just in his calmness, in his patience, but in his strength, responds with questions and continues to just ask them questions and drive home the fact that he loves them and he cares about them. He is the authority. See, the problem with the previous scenario is the reason why we don't like it when someone's continually nagging us with questions is because now all of a sudden it feels like they're the authority over our lives. As I've already stated, we don't like it. We don't like to submit to authority. None of us do. Jesus didn't feel that way with the religious leaders because he is the authority. In fact, Matthew 28, 18 tells us that Jesus came to them and he's talking to the disciples and this is what he says. All, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some It's not like, well, God sent me down here and gave me permission to address some of these things, but I'm going to have to go to him for some of these other things. No, all authority from heaven and earth. So who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge? Is Jesus in charge of your life? Have you submitted to his authority, to his love, to the grace that he has for us? Do we trust him? Do we trust that Jesus is going to provide security in our life? He's going to provide peace in our life and prosperity. The very things that loyal subjects depend upon from their king. And you say, I don't know about this prosperity stuff. I'm not just talking about money I'm talking about the the provision of God in your life. Knowing who we are just in our sin nature, in in our humanity, my guess is that for many of us, the difficulty comes from putting, from submitting to his authority and putting our trust in him 
Because how can we really be sure that he's actually going to follow through? See, oftentimes what happens is we'll say, God, I trust you. I, Jesus, I put my trust in you. You are my king. I submit to your authority until I don't. Until things start going a direction that I'm a little uncomfortable with, and clearly you don't understand my situation, and so I'm going to shove you off of the hill, and I'm going to take rightful place as king. It's hard for us, and it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard for us. See, he has the authority, and in this scenario, he's got all of the religious leaders silenced now. And now he gives some assurance. He, he shifts the conversation to the end times. You know, and this is something that I think is kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind right now. It's like, is this it? Is this the end times? Or is this, are we headed there? Like, where? where we... The crickets. <laughs> you didn't hear that online, but there's a cricket in here. And I'm just going to put a pause in my message right now because i got to tell this story. Like, two years ago, I mean, uh, no, two years into being here. Uh, so that had been 13 years ago, uh, we had a plague of crickets on our property. And, and in the middle of the message like this, it wouldn't just be a chirping cricket. There'd be a cricket that would drop down on the ceiling onto your shoulder right there. And people were like popcorn. They were jumping and freaking out because there was crickets falling from the ceiling. We had to cast the demons out of this place. Jesus has got the religious leader silence, unlike the cricket friend in our room. And he begins talking about the end times. And just take a look at his heart as he starts sharing with them. In chapter 23 of Matthew, and verse 37, it says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing to come under the protection that he was offering. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, listen, I've got this. I want to gather you in. I want to bring protection. I want to bring security and peace into your life. I want to provide for you and cover for you. That's my heart. He loves us. He goes on in chapter 24. He's talking to the he's about to talk to the disciples. Jesus goes out and departs from the temple. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Right to take a look at all of the uh, the stones of the building that that were put together and and Jesus says to them, "Do you not see all of these things?" And here's the assurance right here. This is what he said. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that not one of these stones of the building, right? not one of these stones shall be left here upon another. In other words, everything is going to crumble down that shall not be thrown down. 
Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so now he's up on the mount, he's teaching his disciples, crowds are gathering around him. He came, the disciples came to him privately saying this. He says, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? See, they've acknowledged his authority and they recognize he is the authority. And so maybe he can give them some insight into the end times. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed. See, he begins with, authority, with the authority to give them the assurance of what's going to happen. He begins with authority, gives them assurance. And here's the assurance in chapter 24, verse 10. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another. They will hate one another. In other words, he's describing the world and what's going to happen. And, and maybe he's describing the world and what is happening. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, there will be all of these distractions. There's going to be all of these things taking place in the midst of the world. And then listen to what he says. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, and then the end will come. How does he know this? Because he's the authority. Did you know that Jesus is the authority of the end times? Jesus is the authority that gives us assurance. In this verse, we find the assurance of everything happening in the world. Right? We're dealing with, I think we can all agree that we are in a season and in a time that is terrible. Right? And I'm not trying to, to, to be like a doom and gloom person here, but, but what we are experiencing is like nothing else in my lifetime. I'm not saying there hasn't been eras of this world and times in this world that have been worse than this, because certainly there has been. But in my lifetime, we are facing some of the craziest things that we've ever seen. We're seeing things like war, we're seeing things like pandemics. We're seeing things like moral decay, ethical decay. And the question is, do we accept his assurance? Do we believe it? Do we trust his assurance? See, we live, we need to live under the authority of Jesus, but then we have to trust and accept his assurance in our life. Let me give you the assurances that he gives in this passage, the assurance of victory. He says it's not the smartest person or the most spiritual person. It's those that endure. And some translations say those who persevere. The Greek word there means to hold on to, to grab hold of. It's not endure, like I'm enduring this life. It's not just I'm enduring no, the definition is literally like, no, I am holding on. I'm enduring 
this. And I have this picture of, of enduring like a tornado going by and like pulling my legs up and, and like I'm holding on to the only thing that I know to, that's going to secure me to the ground. And uh, I use this illustration of first service. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Titanic. If you haven't, consider yourself one of the most blessed people on the planet. But if you have, you know that when the, when the ship is going down, these guys are on the very top. because it's, it's really the back of the ship, but it's going into the water, and they're holding on, hoping not to slide to their death. It's this holding on, this endurance. It says in, in that verse, it, it says, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Somebody texted in a question, not really a question, more of a comment. They were like, uh, the picture of endurance, and that is, is exactly what it feels like I'm going through right now. And they said, I don't fully understand how you could be so right about God's word and so wrong about Titanic. Um, but, but I hate that movie, and I, I'm still going to heaven even though I hate it. He gives us the assurance of victory. We know that if we endure, if we hold on, we will be saved. He also gives us the assurance. In fact, I just, uh, uh, just a little prompting here from, from the Lord. I just want to acknowledge, we're probably going to go over if I do this, but um, I just recognize that maybe there are some in the room that that's exactly how you feel right now. You're just, I'm just, I'm holding on. And I'm going through a season in my life where it's, it's like a tornado blowing past me and I'm doing my best to hold on. And, and normally uh, we just bust through the message and, uh, and then we have communion and, and we talk and then we leave. But I just feel like I'm supposed to give the opportunity for some prayer that if that's you, and, and you would be bold enough to just, I know this is crazy, but if you just stand, like if that's you and you're just like, I'm just holding on, trying to, to endure, okay? There's somebody there. Anybody else? I know it's super uncomfortable. I'm asking a lot to, to kind of expose yourself, okay? There's somebody there. Somebody here. Good. Okay. This is what I want, what I want us to do is if you're around one of these person, listen, if you're up front and stuff and you can't get to the people in the back, just stay where you're at. But if you're around someone uh, that, that's standing, I, I want you to just gather around them and put a hand on their shoulder. And some of our prayer teams in here, uh, yeah. All right. Well, Father, for these who, uh, who are standing, who... They're just getting by. They're just doing everything they can to hold on and to endure. God, I pray for your protection, your covering. God, that in this moment, they would receive the assurance of your victory in their life. God, that they would receive that Your promises are not that we are going to go through this life unscathed. 
that there's not, in fact, the promise is that there is going to be troubles. There is going to be heartache. But the assurance that we have is in you as we submit to your authority. And so for each of these who are standing this morning, Lord, I pray for your protection, your assurance, your peace, your security, and your provision over their life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, we trust you. We, we submit that to you and surrender that this was a, a prompting of your Holy Spirit, and we believe that as we continue on in our time together, that you will continue to show us areas of our life where we need to submit to your authority as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for, for being bold enough to stand uh, and, and just acknowledge the fact that it's, it's tough. It's tough. The second thing that we're assured of in this passage is we're assured of the mission. He says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all of the nations. The gospel will be preached. It's not going to be shut down. I met with, I had the privilege to meet with some pastors this last week. I've been tasked with uh, and taken on a responsibility just for a couple of years to, to kind of keep, keep tabs and track of uh, the churches in the state of Texas. With the exception of El Paso, they went to New Mexico. Uh, but, but 56 churches in the state of, of Texas. So you can be praying for me about that. It's kind of a lot of land to cover. Um, and in this last week, I was with some churches in Houston, and it was interesting in talking with some of them. It was just a great time to hear what God's done through them. Some of them have been pastoring for 40 years in the same town. Uh, and I just thought, wow, what a, what a testimony to God's faithfulness in their life. And, um, but in a couple conversations I had, you could tell that there was, just, there was a lot of concern uh, about our country right now and the nation, and they felt it necessary to tell me uh, and really kind of warn me uh, that the way that our country is going, that uh, soon the government's going to strip us of our 501c3 status. And, they, and they're like, we, you know, we got to prepare financially, we got to do this and that, and, you know, because if they take that, it's going to change things. And, um, I didn't say this to them necessarily, but I am saying it to you. I don't know if this is, maybe they'll watch it, I don't know. But I don't care. I don't care if they take our 501c3 status. The assurance is that the gospel is going to be preached. So, you know, and their concern, of course, is, is the tithe. Well, if, if they take our 501c3 status, then people aren't going to tithe because now they're not going to get the tax benefits. I just thought, how little do you think of people that if the only reason they tithe is because they're getting a tax benefit, that's transactional, that's not spiritual, that's not anything to do with the kingdom of God, that's to do with the kingdom of man. And, and I just thought, I don't care if they take our five, I don't care if we have to pay property taxes, we'll do whatever we have to do to make sure that the gospel will be preached. Well, what if they shut us down? Well, they kind of did that in China, and you know what happened? The gospel 
was preached and continues to be preached and continues to spread maybe even stronger and more fervently than it does here amongst the freedoms that we have. We have the assurance of the mission. The gospel is going to be preached. I'm going to come back to what that mission looks like in just a second, but then we also have the assurance of completion. He tells us, then the end will come. So the end will come. I don't know when. Don't text that question in. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know when it is, and, and neither do you, and nor does anybody else. If somebody <laughs> tells you, <laughs> don't text that question in. You can text it. I'm just not going to respond to it. Or I'll give you some smart aleck response if, if you want to be entertained this week, by all means. I don't know when, but I do know that the end is coming. And I know this, we don't have to be afraid. We're not afraid. We've already been assured of victory. And we know that the end is coming. We get to walk in peace and security and prosperity, knowing that our king is in control, that he is the authority of the end times. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to stress about it. I know people who just follow end times preachers, hoping to get insight to what the end is going, when the end is going to be, what to look for at the end of the times. And I'm like, I don't have that much time. And I don't even care. I mean, I do care only from the standpoint that the gospel needs to be preached, but I really don't care when it happens. I just know that it's going to happen, and when it happens, I'm okay. You know why? Because I've been holding on. I've been holding on. I've been enduring. I'm persevering in the things of God. So then King Jesus ends with an assignment, the mission. So my third question this morning is, will we accept his assignment? He says in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 35, For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, drink, give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, he will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you do it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the other side of the coin, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil. And and it says, why? Because the opposite took place of all of those things. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was naked. You never clothed me. Like all of these things. And then their response to him was, Lord, when did you do those things? And we didn't do those things. And he says, when you didn't do these things to the least of these. The mission that the king gives us, the assignment, is just a simple, easy assignment it's just to change the world. One least of these at a time. One least of these. And the least of these, we look at the list and we're like, well, I don't know anybody that doesn't have any food. I don't know anybody that is thirsty. I don't know, I don't know very many strangers. You know, my parents conditioned me young. So who, who are the least of these in your life? These are probably the people that are the most different than you. These are probably the people who you don't interact with a whole lot, people you actually tried to keep at a distance in your life. Jesus 
cares about those people. His assignment is to change the world, and how we treat the least of these is how you treat him. The assignment goes on in Matthew 28. And if you choose to accept his mission to change the world, he says in verse 16, and I read one of the verses earlier, then Jesus came to them and said, he's talking to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says, therefore, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What does this mean? It means that we get to gather here on Sunday mornings. We get to be equipped. We get to get empowered. And we get to spend time in the presence of God. All for the purpose of go. To go and make disciples. To go into our life circle and find people who are the least of these. Find people who are far from Jesus and and introduce them into a better kingdom. That if you have this and you're holding on to the foundation and the authority of Jesus in your life, and that is difficult in this context, imagine what the world feels like when the tornado's running by them and they don't even have any foundation to hold on to. What does it mean to make disciples? Disciple making means teaching people, and it's incrementally. It's not like, you know, all just fire hose all at once. It's incrementally teaching them and helping them to want Jesus as their Savior and King. To understand that our King isn't a dictator, authoritarian, like, like, fire and brimstone king. He's a king who invites people in. He invites them in and says, I love you. I want relationship with you. I care about you. And I can promise you there are people who are looking for that kind of king. We help teach them to commit their allegiance then to Jesus, which is what I'm doing here today. I'm recognizing that it's hard for us to submit our allegiance to Jesus. And and I'm trying to teach you why, because he is the authority. We uh, We teach them to commit their allegiance to the king. And then we teach them to grow and become like their king. And that's that looks simply like a transformed life a transformed lifestyle in the things that they do. Now how they live their life, the decisions that they make, the choices that they're making in their life, it's, it's what I do in this world is transformed. I used to operate this way outside the kingdom, and now that I'm in the kingdom, I begin to live my life very differently. It's a transformed identity because of who I am now. See, when I lived outside the kingdom, it, My identity was wrapped up in whether or not I could be king of the hill. My identity was wrapped up in in my prosperity and my security and all of the things I could provide for me. And now my identity is not wrapped up in any of those things. It's wrapped up in him and who I am in him today. 
my identity is not wrapped up as a pastor of Lifehouse Church. I think there were times where that began to creep in. My identity is wrapped up in his security, his peace, his prosperity in my life. It's also a transformed purpose. That because of who he is and how he has, he has brought us under his covering and extended his grace and love and forgiveness and opened wide the gates to us, we now go into this world as ambassadors of our king. And we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So who is this king? This king has authority over everything. He gives us his assurance that we will be protected. He has tasked us with an assignment to go and make disciples. And we go on behalf of our king. When I say that he has assured us of protection, security, and peace, and prosperity, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be roses. There will be times of trouble in your life. But he promises to be the one that we can hold on to. He assures that we can hold on to him in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. Let's pray.